here on Video Gameography, the podcast where we explore the most important game franchises in history, one title at a time. I am one of your hosts, Benjamin Reeves. I am the other host, Marcus Stewart. And joined with us today, we have Jonathan Dornbush. He's the senior features editor at IGN and host of Podcast Beyond. How's it going, Jonathan? Doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really, really excited to be here talking about Uncharted. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Of course. You, I feel like you got a prized pick. I don't know how you lucked <laughs> out, but Uncharted 2, pretty highly regarded in the game space. I've I've heard some people like it out there. I've, I've yeah. heard a couple of good things about it. I, I personally like it as well. So that worked out. But yeah, uh, really, really exciting one to talk about. I actually do have a lot of uh, specific history, I think, with it and, and PlayStation. So yeah, excited to jump in. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like it, too. We're all on the same page here. <laughs> That's nice. I like it. Yeah, I don't think there's an Uncharted game that I don't like, honestly. Yeah, I never, pretty much. I haven't played the, the card game, so there's Fight for Fortune, I guess. That's true. Is, is I never played there, that. Yeah. <laughs> that Vita game either. Oh, Golden Abyss. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. I don't know. If you're looking for more Uncharted. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, Uncharted 2, widely regarded by many as the best in the series. It's up there for me. I I think four might edge it out just in my personal opinion, but that's me. But yeah, two is definitely up there. I remember playing it and just being I loved the first game, but then when the second game came out, it just was several notches above my expectations. And they they took the formula of like, let's make a blockbuster film as a game. And they just ramped everything up. So just the, the story was a little more interesting. The character dialogue, a little bit snappier. But mostly the action and the set piece design was just out of this world. Like it still holds up even, you know, what is it? 10 plus years later. It's still up there with games that are coming out today in my mind. Yeah. I mean, a lot of games feel like they maybe even directly or indirectly kind of model themselves a little bit after this game's temple, especially games in the same style of like those third person action adventure games. You see a lot of Uncharted DNA now from especially in set piece moments. Yeah, for sure. Jonathan, since you're the guest here, do you want to maybe introduce your history with the series and your history with two specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe it it ages me or not, but I um, wasn't covering games or anything at the time when when Uncharted 2 came out, but I was, you know, fervently taking in as much uh, coverage of games at the time as I could. And I didn't have a PS3 before Uncharted 2, and it was the acclaim for it was what made me get a PS3. Um, I, I got one for Christmas that year, and that was sort of the just sort of the really big adoration and love and I think the specificity with which people talked about it and I think it speaks to both of kind of what you were saying of I think the set pieces of the way they evolved those games obviously I would go back to play Uncharted 1 but I think you can really tell that Uncharted 1 was them kind of proof of concepting this evolution for what Naughty Dog could do and 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 sort of their cinematic ambitions and, and also having to deal with the launch of the PS3 and you know certain controller requirements, like the balancing minigame and things in there. But a two really feels like them putting proof into what they 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 had promised. And yeah, it, it blew me away when I when I got it that Christmas. And I think it was one of those things where you, you play those set pieces. And even years later, you know, I, I just did a replay of the original trilogy ahead of the Legacy of Thieves collection. And those set pieces still, like you, you both are saying, hold up. They're still really great. And I think people still kind of chase what was the heights of those because they were 
so ambitious for the time and still really, really solid and just technically impressive on a huge game design level as well. Yeah, for sure. Did you play Drake's Fortune before you played two? I did. Yeah, I, I made sure I was like, OK, well, if I'm going to play two, I should probably play one, especially knowing that it was what, like six, seven hours to play through. So I, I had them pretty much immediately back to back in my mind. That was I, I am forgetting how old I was that year, but I definitely had off during the Christmas period for whatever was going on in my life. And I yeah, I, I mainlined the two of those within a couple days of each other. And, and so I had that comparison point there, but it was a very, very back to back. And I think that really brought into sharp relief how much of a leap two felt like to me. Right. Yeah. hundred percent with you on that one. Marcus, what about you? What's your history with two? Uh, yeah. So we talked last week about um, whether or not one was the game. The first game, Drake's Fortune, was the one that kind of took off with like in a mainstream sense or at least with my immediate friend group and i was like oh i i was the one i played and had to tell everyone two was the one where it finally like that was the 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 jumping on point for all my friends were like we could not stop talking about this game i remember getting it day one and absolutely loving it like you know pretty much what you said jonathan just being completely floored by everything like like those moments of sitting there it's like i can't believe this is a video game with everything that's happening here like this is where we're at now like this is insane and like it's to me uncharted 2 is on that that list of just the perfect sequel it's better than its predecessor in every conceivable way and then some even the series itself almost feels like it's still chasing what uncharted 2 did yeah i remember i i can't remember if this was like it might have been my personal game of the year that year i, I it would have been a year before i really started actually writing that down and, and tracking and stuff like that but I think it would have been a, a, maybe Assassin's Creed 2, which was also that year. But yeah, this to me was just it, it was just pure, just fun, just pure fun. Yeah, it for sure was. I remember Matt Helgeson. We had him on the last episode. He was reviewing it for Game Informer at the time. I remember walking into his office while he was like midway through the game. And I was like, how is it? Is it good? And he's like, yeah, it's, it's really good. And I, I think I asked like, well, yeah, but is it game of the year good? Which is something you would occasionally ask like, yeah, but is it game of the year good? <laughs> it's like kind of took a moment and he's like, I mean, it deserves to be in the discussion. And I was like, oh, really? Like it's that, it's that good. Mm. And I think it was Game Informer's game of the year, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was. Cause I, I was subscribed to GI then. I think you're, cr yeah. Yeah, we'll say yes. If only there was a way to look that up. Who knows? If only we, who, I who would be able to do that? Yeah. There's no record of, of gaming past coverage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, I, I think that sort of that game of the year discussion for me is, is also really important to the legacy of Uncharted 2 because I think like, you know, ever since then, there's obviously this, th they had incredible exclusives before then that you can certainly point to, but I do think PlayStation really founded this sort of uh, you know, Persona as have it being the place for these big cinematic action adventure games. And I do think it was two more than one that really did that. I think one brought some attention and interest in that way, but yeah. also was mired in the launch of the PS3 and, you know, the ex extreme price and, and things like that. Whereas two kind of could just exist on its own and be evaluated in that way. And I do really think it, it broke through in that like, whoa, mm -hmm. this is something to pay attention to. It was also a step up for Naughty Dog, too. It was also yeah. a notch in their cap where people regarded Naughty Dog well before that. You know, say, like, hey, this is the company that created Jack and Dexter and Crash Bandicoot. Obviously, we're going to give them their props. And yeah, that Uncharted game was fun. But I think when 2 came out, it was so far above what they'd done before, just quality-wise and oh, yeah. presentation-wise. 
that they became and you know some people hold them up as like man they might be the best developer running right now talk about crunch aside you know like the, obviously there's a, there's an expense there they've been in the news for that but just for quality of what they're putting out they got to be up there right top five top oh, yeah. three even at least in my mind oh, for, for sure. sure they could they could be number one still depending on what your your metric is but right yeah, yeah good I, point. certainly for me as well i think that when there's a new naughty dog release on the horizon even when i know they're trying something new like doubling down on a multiplayer experience right now it's sort of one of those things where it's like i really want to know what they're up to it, it's very high up on my list yeah as, yeah, as a company sure. awesome well let's dive in Uncharted 2 Among Thieves came out October 13th, 2009. A couple other games of 2009. I believe you said Assassin's Creed 2, right, Marcus? Yep. Batman Arkham Asylum was also that year, which I remember that was another game we talked about as like, ooh, this could also be a game of the year contender, which is surprising because it's a Batman game. And back then, Batman games were not regarded well. Uh, Halo Wars, Halo Wars 3 ODST. We've definitely talked about this year before. Borderlands, Dark... Excuse me, Demon Souls, Dragon Age Origins, uh, and Mirror's Edge, which was one of my personal faves of the year. So solid year. Yeah. Do we, does 09 get overlooked as a good year? I feel like should we be like recognizing 2009 a little bit more? Everybody talks about 2007, but I don't have yeah. a lot of love for 2009. I was going to say it may be hard to top 07, but 09, especially in that generation, feels like it it deserves more credit than I think it gets to. I think. It's easy to just be like, oh, seven. And then it was quiet for years, but it it's a really good year. Yeah. Infamous was that year, too. I just remember that. Just yeah. In my head. Yeah. 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 The first Infamous was good. A couple of films of the year were Inglorious Bastards. Avatar took over the world. The Hangover and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Just to give you another sense. If you're casting your mind back to 2009, a couple other events were Barack Obama was inaugurated as the 44th president. Chrysler Automobile filed Chapter 11, chapter 11 bankruptcy because we were all in a terrible housing crisis, if you remember. <laughs> and Kesha released a number one single called TikTok, which is what inspired the creation of the app, right? Wait, ahead of the curve. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I have no idea. I would totally believe I was like, wait, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's true, but I think I, it is. I, honestly, I, I don't be. even know. I don't know what where they got the name. Got to get John TikTok on the phone and ask him. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Weirdly, it wasn't his name that inspired it. It was Kesha's song. <laughs> yeah, it has to be right. Yeah, and then on November thirteenth, two thousand nine, Naughty Dog released Uncharted Two. Directors were Bruce Bruce Straley and Amy Hennig. It was a great game. We can dive into the development history a little bit. I I did a lot of research on this, and I feel like I found a lot on the first game, and not nearly as much on the second game for some reason. But my understanding, by all accounts, is it seems like it was a smoother development than the first game. The first game was a lot of learning curves, a, bit, you know, a lot of bumps in the road. This one, they kind of had some of their systems down. They had rebuilt the engine for the first Uncharted. And now they had all that tech, and they understood the tech a little bit better. So they were able to get off the ground and running much more quickly. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure it was still a difficult development because they did the thing in two years. This, this whole game, actually less yeah. than two years. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not that far removed from the first game. Yeah, but. it had to have been a crazy sprint on some level. But I mean, I guess that's good, right? No news is good news to an extent. <laughs> if all they have to say is, 
eh, this was easier. <laughs> we had a better time with this. I, I was just going to say, I remember watching a lot of interviews, I think, at the time, because uh, as it was sort of doing the Game of the Year circuit, I think Amy Hennig did a lot of appearances and, and like podcasts and interviews and such like that. And it, it does seem sort of from from that stuff and revisiting some of it, it was a lot of, you know, they figured out the formula. Where can they go forward with this? And And it was going about bigger and better and grander and really delivering on that promise of what a movie experience in a game a cinematic action blockbuster that you would actually be able to play could be like and right. and i think they they really just doubled down on that and and as we've been saying and as we'll probably get into detail about it it shows in a lot of it yeah they said when they started the development their goals were to make a fully playable action blockbuster and they feel like they got close with you know the first game but the second game they're like we really want to nail it this time so we want the player to feel like they're in control even in the moments, you know, in in a normal game at this time, or even still today, you'll have like a cool action set piece, but then it cuts to a cinematic and you see like this cool stuff happening and then cinematic ends and the player's in control again. They wanted to do away with that. They wanted the player to be in control during the cool action set pieces. I, I would say they succeeded. Like there's that, the scene I always think of was one of the E3 demos where the building is collapsing Oh yeah. And you're controlling yeah. Nathan as he's like running through this. I don't know. It's like a big office or something, but the building is literally falling and you jump into another building. That was wild. Like the idea that you're inside of a moving structure. That's, I mean, not even just moving that it's falling apart. And again, it was one of those moments where you're just like, how is this? How, how are we doing this? Just like what sorcery is at play here? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah there's uh, there's moments that i think get bigger play in, and talked about but yeah that moment is that as you're falling because you're you're sort of preoccupied with it having just played it you're focused on the the combat for a bit like inside the building and then it's like oh no i need to make sure i can land this jump and not be stuck in the rubble it, it yeah. becomes so much more than just what you expect the standard action to be mm -hmm. and to your earlier point ben about um them talking about wanting to show more I like to get away from the uh, separation of cutscenes and gameplay. Like, if I remember correctly, almost all of the pre-release footage, they kept stressing that it was like, no, this is an engine. This isn't like, the, I remember that being like such a big sticking point for yeah. them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they were all like, this is in it. Yeah, because they didn't really, they had cinematics. They had a cinematic team that, and they had like over 90 minutes of footage in the game of cinematics. But that was all in-engine stuff that was happening with the engine that wasn't like, juiced up uh, another one of the goals was they wanted to make the game about trust and betrayal which i can kind of see that yeah there's a lot of that in that story yeah yeah i mean it's Maybe. called among thieves that's true <laughs> yeah it uh it opens up i think nate's world in in a way and does introduce one of my favorite characters in the franchise with chloe um and you know i do think Having replayed it, it does unfortunately sideline uh, Sully a bit for sure. He's he's kind of out of the picture for a large part of it, and I I just love Sully and his snark throughout everything. Um, but you know, I I really do think it it sort of gets into the idea that Nate is not the only treasure hunter in the world acting like this. Like he is not some sole Batman type, and he's the only person in Gotham. It's like no, there's a whole Bat family. There's a whole family of thieves out there to, yeah, to sort of that's an get interesting into. comparison. Yeah, it's kind of like John Wick's uh, when you see the first movie and the first time he goes to the, uh, the hotel and you get to see that this is a broader world of assassins and hit. Totally. And, you know, it's he's just a, a cog in the wheel. He, he's the best. He's the biggest cog in the wheel. <laughs> but yeah. And you also get a bigger sense, too, of just Nathan and who he is as a character. 
in the first game, I think it's alluded to that he has, I don't know, a shadier past or something, but you don't, you know, he's an everyman. You know, just kind of think of him as an Indiana Jones swashbuckling type character. But in the second game, you're like, oh, this guy has like, he's a thief, right? So like, he's a little bit shady and he runs with shadier people and he's, he's so charming. You kind of forget about that. His shady past. Yeah. You realize like, oh, he's got connections. Okay. Yeah. And then Jonathan, you mentioned Chloe who's introduced in this game. And I, I don't think I guess I would guess that naughty dog maybe didn't know that she was going to be a big deal for the franchise, <laughs> but what what is your, what's your guys' take on Chloe? Do you like her? Yeah. I, I remember at the time, it, and maybe this was just a me and my friends thing. I would like to know you guys' opinion, but we had a very, we had a team Chloe, team Elena sort of thing going on by the time we finished that game of like, who do you like more? And I was, I was in the team Elena camp. I, I love Elena. I think she's great. Uh, Chloe's cool, but like, she's, you know, she's just cool to me. Like, I think I just like Elena. She's just so endearing. Um, But yeah. as, I, I think later on throughout the series, especially in Lost Legacy, which will, you know, another episode, um, I think she's a really cool kind of like, because she gets away from that initial just kind of femme fatale archetype that mm -hmm. they introduce her as, and you kind of get to see that there's layers to her character. And also uh, Claudia Black, who portrays her um, amazing performance and, you know, kind of in line with the other fantastic performances in that series. But yeah, I think she's a cool, like a great foil, I guess, and, uh, for for Nate. And, and Elena as well, because they're like polar opposites, right? Yeah, she kind of represents that darker side of Nathan or that darker history, because there's that scene where she doesn't she doesn't want to save the cameraman that's dying. Oh, yeah. She's like, nah. yeah. And then she gets You're mad like, at oh, you later for it's it. Kinda, it's kind of crappy, Chloe. But, <laughs> but yeah, it is. She is an interesting character. You mentioned Claudia Black, the voice actress. I found this note for Uncharted 1. I wasn't able to verify it, but apparently she was going to play Elena at one point. She was maybe the first choice to play Elena, but then something happened. But yeah. so I don't know if that's true or just made up, but it is an interesting kind of note. I could see that because Emily Rose was never when she auditioned, she was never officially auditioning for the role. It was just that she apparently was just there to read the lines for the people auditioning for Nate. And then when she did the line read with Nolan North, their chemistry was so strong that they straight up just hired her over the, the women that had come to officially audition. Those are my favorite auditioning stories when you hear stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of like Hellblade, right? Of like, oh, we had Melina Jurgens just as a stand-in, but she was so good that we just kept her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was just their, like, community manager, or what was she doing? She was their photographer, in-house photographer, and they're yeah, just I like, was... here, put this on. We'll test some makeup out on you. Oh, wait, this is going well. Just be in our game. <laughs> Saves us time. So, yeah, I, I, I could believe that story. If maybe Claudia was waiting in line, and she got the news. She's like, what? But it worked out for her because she eventually got her own game, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool, yeah. Uh, let's see. During development, there was they were really inspired by... I'm going to mess this up, but Parotaxang. It's a monastery. It's a Buddhist monastery in the Himalayas. Its nickname is the Tiger Nest Monastery. If you guys Google it, you'll see it. And, and it, it looks like something out of a James Bond film, honestly. It's this Buddhist monastery that's built onto the side of a cliff. It looks unreal, but it but it is a real place. It's really cool, and you can definitely see how Naughty oh, yeah. Dog was inspired by that place and oh, wow. built their city, the the city that uh, oh, I'm blanking on it now, but the one that's in the frozen area of the game. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I'm looking at a picture of it now and I I would like to live here. You wanna, <laughs> do you guys want to pool our money together? We can buy it together. Should how be much do you think, yeah. How much to Airbnb it for a night? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I live in San Francisco, so rent prices are make no sense to me. So it's It'd probably, probably be affordable. cheaper for you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it totally, yeah, seeing photos of it, it looks like the model they would have created for a movie version of this set right. and filmed as like exteriors. But yeah, it's it's incredible to see that real life sort of depiction of it and kind of what they did in game. That that village in particular, I think, is also a great side of like the opposite thing that Uncharted 2 does so well, which is sort of the, you know, we do get those big loud action scenes, but it also was about giving you those human moments, giving you that quiet time to just reflect and be Nathan and be in that story. And and I think that that town is sort of the the best distillation of that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I heard Crunch was really hard. I think the big thing to talk about with Uncharted was the train sequence, the mm-hmm. sequence that opens the game. It's the sequence you're building up to throughout half of the game. It's definitely probably the most memorable sequence from the game. Is that fair? I th- I think it's definitely the one that I think gets the most spotlight as like maybe the most technically impressive sequence in the game. Like, you know, we talked about the building falling over. I, I'm not a designer. I couldn't tell you which one was harder to make. But I mean, that was the one I remember like reading reviews and, and like features and everyone just kept harping about like what a technical achievement that train sequence was. Yeah, apparently this, this is one of the first things they started working on and it's one of the last things they stopped development on. But it was always designed as like this cool set piece moment for the game, but it wasn't always intended to open the game. But they felt the opening of the game, the original opening, was a little too slow. And then Mm -hmm. at one point, Neil Druckmann, who was a lead designer at the time, who went on to obviously seek fame and fortune with The Last of (laughs) Us, uh, he, he had the idea of like, hey, what if we take this cool sequence from the train collapse thing when Nate's climbing up the train and put that at the beginning of the game and like to kind of juice up the beginning of the game. And I think that works. Yeah. Do you guys think that works? It definitely starts the game off strong. You're like, whoa, what happened? Yeah. Like, yeah, like so like planting that seed of like sooner. Okay. You realize like, okay, this is the, we're starting in media res. We're going to get to this eventually. So in the back of your mind, you're like, all right, when's the train coming? When's the train coming? Uh, so for it to be as spectacular as it is, it kind of pays off the, what, like, four or five because it's like midway through the game that that happens uh yeah like kind of yeah. getting towards the last act maybe two-thirds uh, even but it's yeah, cool it's, it's, it's a cool effect too because that it's so memorable that when you start to see the train you're like oh i'm getting close yeah you know you, yeah. you enter the train yard and you're like fighting around the train and the train's taken off and then you and then you're on the train you're like oh my gosh i know how this ends but it's still pretty spectacular everything that's happening in that fight of you progressing across the train is, is still cool and engaging. Yeah. It's one of the most memorable scenes in gaming. Yeah. I think it's one of the coolest ways to, to set up a set piece, like having it, having the aftermath be the start of the game and then, you know, getting to it later on. Cause a lot, you know, a lot of set pieces just kind of come out of nowhere. I think that's really cool to kind of lay some breadcrumbs early on to get you kind of quietly hyped for it. Oh, yeah, it's it's Chekhov's train car, basically, because you just know you're like, when, when is this going to pay off? And it, it is one of I was I had mentioned I was replaying it. It was mostly so that my my girlfriend could see the series for the first time because she had never played them. 
And as soon as she sort of started to notice the train appearing, like the a similar car, she was like, is that is that what we're leading up to? And I'm like, I can't tell you, but obviously she do. <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where you as the player get that excitement and, and anticipation. And not only does that train sequence live up to it, but I think that opening, um, I, I, you know, I think to both of your points, it's something that immediately puts you in it, Marcus. I know you said sort of like the immediate res of it all. That's a thing that gets used a lot in movies and TVs, the, TV these days. But I, I, I feel like at its best, it's often something where it's like the payoff needs to be as exciting and as interesting as what it promises at the beginning. And this is absolutely a case where it does. Like this is, you're, he has no idea what's going on. He's injured. He's in a bad place. And you just have to keep moving. You barely have weaponry after you get out of the train. It's just such a phenomenal, I think, like mood and tone and set piece to get you going into that world. That's all well said. Yeah. Any other like big memorable set pieces from the game that you guys are excited to talk about? I mean, you know, obviously the the ending of it, like kind of <laughs> necessarily a set piece, so to speak, or just like that entire ending sequence. Like, again, we talked about Uncharted 1 and how that kind of kicked off the at least with the first three games having to sort of twist ending or like the supernatural twist that always comes in like the final act. And you know the game kind of gets flipped on its head a little bit of like oh this is what we're doing now like right. being attacked by these sort of like avatar <laughs> blue <laughs> warrior guys that are like Perfect almost invincible. yes they, yeah, same year <laughs> <laughs> you think they knew that they had to have right they're like they saw trailers yeah they're <laughs> like this is going to be the highest grossing film ever made we should get on this yeah. oh well, it's Can a we weird... make the set blue now. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like a weird double fake, too, because you first see the like monster in shadow. There's that yeah. sequence where Nate's climbing through the ice cave and then there's this thing in shadow. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what was that? And it's kind of scary. And you're like, OK, they're doing what they did in the first game. And now there's like this weird supernatural thing. And it's Yetis, I guess. OK, why not? But then there's that reveal later that they're not Yetis. They're actually people. Yeah. But then it's almost like a twist again. It's like, yeah, but they're not normal people. They still have superhuman powers. Like, it's like, what? Well, okay. Yeah, because there's like a, when they first get into the city, they like fight. Uh, they're like human guardians disguised as monsters. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess it's nothing. And then the real, the blue people show up and then everything goes to hell. Yeah, yeah it it creates this cool moment of, of intrigue. Yeah, it, it's something that for me, I think is at least the the main trilogy the first trilogy always has to contend with is like is the twist going to be supernatural okay it's not really supernatural but like what is it rooted in like they they have an in-world explanation for what happens in one two and three but it still lends it this sort of larger than life uh you know end result and and so i i thought the you know the first time you encounter the yetis and everything it's really interesting and really mysterious especially because it is right after Nate has been through that village and is kind of still getting back on his feet and and kind of at almost like a, a low point because he's not really sure, you know, if he's able to succeed right then. And that's really, really exciting. And then, yeah, you get there and it's like, OK, so they're not Yetis, but they're they're these people, but they also have superpowers kind of. And, and so the superpower is now the thing I'm trying to protect it. It is one of those sort of like I love the Uncharted games so much, but I do think their their explanations can sometimes almost get away from them. In sure. the yeah, it feels like over the years they started to move away from that because maybe they were getting feedback that people don't like it the first one's the most like extreme like oh now there's zombies in this game yeah and then the second one like there's some they try to explain it away and the third one i feel like they they really try to explain it away like oh this could be scientific i don't know but i kind of just prefer 
bid in for where it's like not almost not a thing. Uh, I don't know. We talked about this last episode, but Jonathan, I'm curious to hear your impression. Do you like the supernatural elements? Do you think that's important to Uncharted? Not particularly. Like on the list of things that I I care about when it comes to Uncharted and and why the series means so much to me, I think like the supernatural twist of it all isn't really. And I I am glad that Four and Lost Legacy started to move away from that. Um, you know, I think it was also a really interesting time when the the Tomb Raider franchise started to come back with the, that sort of, you know, rebooted trilogy and they would lean it like they would go for, oh, no, there's just magic or there's something supernatural yeah. here. Like they would really lean into it. And Uncharted was like, well, it's not fully supernatural. We do have a, I, I guess, scientific explanation for it sometimes. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think I care so much more about and, and I think too really solidifies this is like I care more about. Nate's relationship to Elena or his yeah. rivalry slash potential romance with Chloe and his, you know, um, his enemies and, and how he's trying to actually do some good, but also as a thief and, and, you know, all these things. I think that balance of the storytelling is so much more interesting to me than what is the supernatural but not supernatural twist of it all. And I'm, yeah. I, I am glad they moved away from it. Yeah. Question. Yeah, that's At the time, you uh, everyone will be listening to this. The Uncharted movie will not have come out but it'll be pretty soon yeah do you think they'll do that in the movie do you guys like what's the over under that it takes thinking, a supernatural yeah. third act uh good question um i don't know because they with the i don't know do we care about spoilers for the tomb raider movie at this point which one the the one with uh <laughs> alicia, alicia yeah the new one yeah uh yeah i mean if i, I guess know. if you care spoiler warning because but... it feels like they did an uncharted in that movie in my mind yes. where they yeah. went and like oh now there's a supernatural thing but then they also took the extra step of trying to explain it away scientifically which okay. i don't know i'm i'm like either be indiana jones and like hey well what supernatural world just exists or just you know be james bond or something and it's all the real world. You know, it's, yeah. it's not real world. It's yeah. fake spy stuff, but yeah. I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't. I, I was reading a few interviews with the director and he seems very on the, the path of like, I just love Indiana Jones movies and realized I could make one here. And that's why I wanted to direct this movie. I, you know, I think like the biggest mystery they've currently set up is how Sully gets his mustache. That really feels like what it's all building to for the movie. Isn't there a scene in the trailer where he has one? They showed it for a second. Yeah, I yeah. I assume that is the end of the movie. Just okay. knowing how it's how really just happen. his mustache's origin story. Is that exactly? What you're <laughs> it's like Solo. How how does he get everything? It's how does Solo get his yeah. mustache? It, yeah, it'll begin with him with the mustache, like Amelia Rez, and then mm. it'll build up <laughs> through the movie, and then he'll get the mustache through supernatural means. Of course, there's a scene where Nate turns to Sully and he's like, "Isn't your lip cold?" <laughs> but it, the supernatural mean is just like Rogaine that they found in a forest, basically. That's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, the the wind kicks up some dust or something, and <laughs> it hits. That him looks in the, good on you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Believe it or not, we did not write this movie, <laughs> listeners. I know what you're thinking, but but we should have a word for or, yeah, word for word shot. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, cool. Yeah, we should also maybe talk a little bit about multiplayer because this is the first uncharted game with multiplayer did you guys spend much time in the multiplayer yes yeah. surprisingly and this was um I, even now i'm not the biggest multiplayer guy it takes something really special for me to get hooked on any multiplayer mode it's just it just isn't my thing uncharted 2 was probably the first it was definitely the first ps3 multiplayer that i was like actually into 
and was playing on like an almost nightly basis with some friends and like one it was just novel to me because i i since i didn't play it that often i hadn't been burned out on it because you know like i didn't have an xbox so xbox live wasn't a thing for me same with pc so this was like my like all right hooking up with my friends we're gonna go shoot some dudes and also it felt like it was the only multiplayer game that i was like actually good at because i was you know i played the campaign of course and i was used to uncharted shooting which isn't the greatest maybe but to me it's like it's fine but i was like i was good at uncharted shooting (laughs) and so like i was actually pretty good online pretty decent kill death ratios all that good stuff and also it was um it's the game that i had the funniest angriest player rant i've ever heard where i played like deathmatch with a guy and we were like getting destroyed and this guy was on a mic and this is also before i learned to never leave party chat on he just kept berating us the whole match about how terrible we were doing and telling us that we like just like an angry coach basically Mm. (laughs) and then we lose and you know they show everyone's stats at the end and he was last in our team like he did the (laughs) worst (laughs) but but then he proceeded to go on his crazy rant where he's telling us that we need to trade in our playstations and like break our copies of the game so we don't deserve them <laughs> because we lost <laughs> wait so did he not recognize that he was last i don't know either that or he didn't care <laughs> but he needed you yeah. to carry him and he was upset you didn't itself clearly like. <laughs> but there was a moment we we're like wait a second you did worse than all of us <laughs> that is funny what about you jonathan did you play multiplayer at all uh no i mean Marcus, you're kind of speaking my language. I, it is very possible we played against each other then. I don't think I was you on the that guy? team. I was <laughs> that was guy, one, yeah. There was this one day where I went on this rant against these guys who just really suck. Finally, I have my moment to tell you. Um, no, I played a lot of Uncharted multiplayer, and I think similarly for me, you know, my, my friend groups at the time, it was Halo or Call of Duty. And I played a lot of them, but I just wasn't ever great at first-person shooters. Something about third-person versus pers- first-person third person was just easier for me to get the handle of and so i i could never hang with my friends and so uncharted was also one of the first multiplayer experiences that i sort of self-discovered where i was where i was interested and wanted to give it a try and, and see what it would be like and i played a ton of it through uh three as well i think and and you know later into the series i i really loved it and it is also one of those things where i i think naughty dog is secretly very smart about how they've put in these multiplayer modes especially that came in an era when multiplayer was always like the thing that was tacked on to single player games that everyone feared. Are they putting this in there, whether it was Doom Raider actually had one or, or Bioshock even with Bioshock 2, uh, Dead Space, I think had it at some point as well. And so it was one of those. Oh, that's right. (laughs) I forgot Dead Space. It was that weird era of multiplayer getting tacked on to games you loved because they were, they were single player. So I got people's, you know, extra scrutiny over it but yeah like you marcus i had so much fun with it it it, i I do get the criticisms against uncharted gunplay in general but i got the hang of it enough where i felt like those matches could genuinely be a lot of fun i still hear the grenade beep sound so popular in that multiplayer like you could just (laughs) bounce those things and you hear that beep 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 and you're like oh no Yeah, I hear you too with the multiplayer because I remember a lot of people complaining even when they announced it before anybody had played it. They were like, oh, they're going to put multiplayer in this. You're going to take time away from your development on the single player to make multiplayer. You're going to sacrifice, you know, because single player is going to suffer now. Like that was the argument. Yeah, it definitely suffer. They really phoned <laughs> it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then came out and you're like, you have no reason to complain about single player right now. And then multiplayer is just icing on the cake at this point. But 
uh, Naughty Dog actually said at some point in an interview, they were like, people complained about that, but actually time spent in multiplayer helped us refine those controls and helped us refine the shooting, which actually then we took that, what we learned, and that helped the single player game help us refine the action in the single player. So it was actually the reverse where working on multiplayer actually helped the single player. I thought that was just an interesting developer note. I think, I don't know if this was just me, but I don't know if you guys remember, there was like a weird cult following around Tenzin, the like Sherpa guide that Nate hangs out with for that. You know, he's the one that rescues you from the, the, the wreckage and you go on like a little mission with him. And I remember like people loved him for that. And he kind of gained some, some fame where like online, he was like a really popular character to to pick it's all a lot of tenzins running around for a huh. while and really so, yeah 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 he was he was he i remember he him being him. A, he was like the odd job yeah the odd job from <laughs> goldeneye exactly i i think especially at a time where like uncharted villains weren't as big a deal for a lot of people like you know lazarevich i there's a lot of criticism against him though i do love that he's also played by graham mctavish who plays cutter in three um, so they they must have loved oh, him at Naughty Dog. I didn't realize that. I yeah, yeah. That he came back to play Cutter. This, oh, wow. Uh, I apologize. The only reason I, I know that right now is because I was on a recent Wikipedia dive on Graham McTavish's uh, filmography for okay. completely Just unrelated a Huge reasons. fan, huh? Just a big, but he showed up in The Witcher, which I'm currently watching, so okay. it was kind of one of those things. But um, yeah, I... I remember Tenzin being kind of like that side character where I was like, yeah, I want to spend a little more time with him. And so, yeah, being him in multiplayer was a, a fun yeah. way to bring that into things. Oh, we need a awesome. Lost Legacy style spinoff with Nate and Tenzin just going yeah. on. Out, just doing, hanging out, going on an adventure together. That's yeah. the prequel we need. I, I'm sure we'll talk more about Cutter next week. But yeah, I, <laughs> I, he was actually supposed to be, Cutter was supposed to be throughout the whole game, but the actor had like an accident or something. Or no, he had a different role that he got, I think it was. was So they mm. wrote the accident into the game for the character. Anyway. It's cool to see that the actor got to come back and make good because I like Cutter. Yeah. But... What do you guys think of uh he brought up Lazarevich and I said this last week that I think Uncharted's villains are kind of always sort of a weak point. Like I don't really remember any of them that well. Um and I've completely forgot about him until I was like, you know, refreshing myself with the story. I was like, do you guys have any like specific memories of him or like where do you rank him on the hierarchy of uncharted villains. uh he's maybe even last place i'm trying oh, to even think more so than the first guy i mean the first i just like the voice actor from the first one but he even dies yeah. i mean the first guy's almost like a non-character so maybe he's still yeah. last but yeah like lavar lazarevich is kind of a cartoonish character of a military guy right yeah he's like a war criminal basically yeah, he's he's there to just be menacing and big and then obsessed with, you know, chasing after the goal that Nate's after. And I, I think he sort of solidified that that villain problem that I think a lot of people associate with Uncharted, because, you know, as as you were saying, the Uncharted one guy, like I, I can't even remember that guy's name. I just played. Yeah, we talked about him last week and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't think, you know, Lazarevich is some uh revelation when it comes to improving upon the villains but at least he i think he's most memorable because that boss fight can be so punishing especially oh. if you're trying to do it on, on harder difficulties. yeah that's really hard on hard it's even yeah. a decent challenge just on normal yeah 
because those kind of yeah. comes out of nowhere. Yeah, those pods explode and and you have to it. what do you have to do? You have to shoot the pods when he's running past them. Yeah. Like you can't fight him directly. He's like invincible basically. And he also can throw ammo or he can throw like four grenades at you from across across that arena with 12 trees in his way and he can still somehow hit you. It's like the green goblin. Just <laughs> it is interesting that a game this game has such a kind of lame villain and a boss fight that's kind of actively not fun. And yet people are still like, 10 out of 10. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, game of the year. I will say that Harry Flynn, who's the other villain, who's technically mm. secondary, I think he's better because like Lazarovich is just kind of there as like the like just regular big bad. But Harry's the one that kind of makes it personal because he has like you know, he used to be Drake's friend. He screws you over pretty early in the game. And then he kind of keeps popping up. He hooks up with Lazarevich to help him out. And he, you know, he, the way he kind of constantly taunts you and he's yeah. just so smarmy and you're just like, sooner or later, this guy's going to get his and it's well, going to be great. He betrays you at the very beginning, like at second level or whatever. And you're, I, I remember feeling like, oh, I want to get this guy. Like, yeah, so it's definitely cool. more personal. Yeah. yeah. It seems nice. Like I like him. I can see why they're friends. You're like, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, it it sets up that you know the trio of the, of the two of them and and Chloe are kind of going to be this thieving group that we're going to get to know, like almost uh, I guess the Sly Cooper group of the Uncharted universe. And then he betrays you, and and as both of you are saying, yeah, I I think it solidifies him as a way more interesting character because again, it makes it more personal. Whereas like Lazarvich may be going after the same goal, but he is just some guy who's who's out there and has a lot of money and, and ammo at his disposal kind of yeah <laughs> i'd love to see a sly cooper slash uncharted crossover how would that work Ooh. just the uncharted guys get turned into animals <laughs> just, i mean like uncharted already has supernatural stuff let's just, he just stumbles into a portal that leads him to sly cooper land the somehow. rift apart portals from ratchet and clank make him oh. end up in the sly cooper universe there you go. and it, it all works out the the Sony Cinematic Universe finally comes together. Then he has to build a team to help him get back home. Then you have that yeah. whole putting the team yeah. together. Into the Sony-verse. You son of a <laughs> bitch, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, but even with the villain, or at least uh, Lazarevich not being great, one thing I like about Uncharted 2 is that overall it's, it's uh, darker than the first game. Like, the stakes are raised. And you mentioned earlier, like, how bummed you felt, Jonathan, about Sully not being in it. I kind of like that moment, like, because he backs out after, like, the first real mission when you go sneak into Lazarevich's camp, and then it goes sideways, and you guys barely get out of there. And Chloe's like, hey, let's keep going. We, we got another lead. And he's just like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, we barely, <laughs> we barely survived that. This seems way too hot. I'm backing out, Nate. I'm sorry. And I remember at the time thinking, like, whoa, if, if, if this is too much for him, this guy has seen, like, everything. What are we getting into here? And you no, kind totally. of start questioning, like, Nate, of, like, are you sure you want to follow this girl? Because <laughs> if, yeah. if, if he's backing out. <laughs> <laughs> that must mean, like, with Sully's experience, yeah. No, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think it fits the tone. I think it fits that character's state of mind. Like, I, it totally works with everything I know of Sully. That's just more of a, like, I just like seeing Sully in those games. And especially, you know, having been now through three and, and into four, I, I just appreciate sort of his perspective on things. But I think for the story that they were telling, it made sense. It very much, I think, fits with that tone. And, and as you're exactly saying, is like, is Nate going a bit too far? I think that this really starts to solidify that idea of like, will Nate kind of push everything out of the way to get to his goal? 
Mm. Yeah, and it kind of plants the seeds for because that's a huge uh, plot point in the third game. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you kind of it almost kind of sets that up of seeing that side of like maybe like obsessive side of Nate a little bit. Um, but at least you could still pin it in to, three and four. You see that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I, and I like going back to Chloe again. She walks a real, real narrow tightrope walk. I think of. I feel like this this lady could either go psycho on me, like go dark and totally betray me at any any moment. She's the villain of the game or that she will like, you know, she's going to have a redemption moment and like be the hero. And I liked that you never really knew which side she was going to fall in. Uh, And I feel like the later games soften her a little bit. Not a ton, but, you know, like I just feel like she's more solidified as like, yeah, she's one of the good guys now. Uh, But I liked it that she was. You know, there was that question, you know, she was kind of this femme fatale, as you were saying. Because yeah. she does flip sides in yeah. the game when, uh, to, you know, when they get caught and stuff like midway through it. Um, so, yeah, that kind of puts you like, OK, I guess. But then she explains like, hey, I was doing it. Too. Yeah. But then there's you know. the fake out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. There's I think there are multiple times where you guys get ambushed and then she points a gun at you and is like, don't worry, it'll be OK. And I think that happens several times, but it is. I agree with you. I think it, it creates that sort of the tension of I don't really know her true intention at this point. Like I think in the series, Chloe is looking out for Chloe first and foremost, and is sort of learning from both sides of this, you know, this confrontation in two of the the type of person she wants to be going forward. Yeah. And I think that's that's who we see in three and four in Los Angeles. That's and I think point. she also, and even like every the the tone and Chloe specifically being around her for so long until you finally meet elena again and i remember the time being surprised i thought i thought they were going james bond and like oh maybe he'll like nate will just have a love interest a different love interest every game because like elena hasn't been mentioned all at this point so i guess nothing happened there and so i remember being like genuinely happy to see her like oh man she's back and yeah. then like you know when you're hanging out with her and you know cameraman jeff rest in peace <laughs> but um that was the moment and this was the game that solidified like i adore elena as a character like she this game maybe has one of the best lines in the uncharted series when you first meet her and she meets chloe and she just really sarcastically is like oh hi i'm elena fisher last year's model yep. like, yeah yeah that's a great really line. spiteful <laughs> like, uh. like who this who this girl yeah i think the, the absence of her like to your point is what make made me care so much about elena as a character was because when she came back it was that surprise it was that genuine oh this is not going to be as you are exactly saying marcus like this james bond archetype like this is someone who really matters to nate's life and you you get the layers of that as it as it goes on and i think it makes especially the ending with the two of them you know like the boss fight aside i think the ending moments with the two of them uh, and and sort of where they're at in the relationship it it like it, it genuinely made me care about this fictional romance that i did not think i was going to care about at the beginning of yeah, she's like a welcome conscience at that point when yeah. she shows up. Like, she's that warm, like, hey, Nate, no, this, why are you doing this? I don't know about this. Because at that point, you're with Chloe, who's like the the bad kid in school, <laughs> the bad influence, basically. <laughs> um, so having her there again, I remember just feeling relief of like, yes, thank you, Elena. Can we talk about this? Yeah, I really like their relationship, specifically, Nate and Elena's. Because in the first game, she's just the love interest. Like, you know, that's all she was there for. And then the second game, as you're saying, like, oh, there's some depth here. Like, it's not just a James Bond thing where every new game, there's going to be a new girl. 
because honestly, that's kind of chauvinistic. But let's have like like I don't know a lot of games like this that actually tell a I guess you could call it a love story or at least a romance across multiple games, and it also at the same time is a a, a love story that's like genuine and feels real and they get into issues and i like seeing it evolve in i'm sure we'll talk about it again in three and four but the where they go with this is really interesting they start that journey here in two yeah i mean the scene where they teased her death uh when they're in the city i remember being terrified i thought that i really thought she wasn't gonna make it um and yeah again that was just another reminder like no i think Elena may be my favorite character in this game. I don't know. Like, wow. I love her. Wow, She's, you're in love. I, I, yes, I'd like to admit it here on the show. You know, Uncharted 2 was a game that made me love Elena. And the Uncharted 2 episode of Video Game Mogfrey, I profess my actual love. Yeah. It Elena. is interesting because you meet, if I don't know if you've ever met the voice actress. I met her at Comic-Con one year. I was like, you looked exactly like yourself because Nolan North doesn't really look like Nathan Drake. <laughs> Yeah. No offense to the guy, but yeah, they definitely wanted to make him a little more handsome. And the Sully voice actor doesn't have a mustache, so that's throwing me. But but yeah, Elena looks like Emily Rose looks like Elena, which is kind of wild. Did they scan her face in, or was that just the artistic choice? I don't know. Yeah, it makes it even weird. Like going back to you know her original model, she had short brown hair, yeah. and my understanding is all they did was like give her a new hairstyle. So I wonder if she was cast at that point. When they had the original model of the picture yet. Yeah, I don't know. That goes back to one, but yeah, I never found anything on that. Yeah, that that could have made the difference. Because, yeah, you know, obviously with the the whole original uh, Nate inspiration being Johnny Knoxville, mm-hmm. as like the archetype and whatnot. I, I, I can see where they went with that look for him uh, instead of a, a look like Nolan North. Again, no disrespect to Nolan North, but yeah, they, they obviously were going for a specific type of character. So it is interesting they went with emily's you know look mm-hmm. largely for for elaine it's, it's yeah. really interesting because claudia black there's maybe some similarities with chloe but doesn't also doesn't really look like so it's just interesting that oh here's this one actress who also looks like the character and everybody else is a little bit different yeah the one that was never supposed to technically get the role yeah isn't that weird <laughs> uh cool well we've already been talking about the story for like half an hour feels like but oh wow. marcus is there anything else that we should talk about story-wise i mean yeah, I think we covered a lot of the major beats. You know, I guess we should probably touch on what they are actually chasing in this game, which is um, centered around Marco Polo's lost fleet. Um, you know, in real life, he uh, had a not great voyage to China or from China in like 1292. And they're just trying to find his fleet so they can get the treasure that's on it. Uh, namely, the, what was it, Sintamani Stone? Is how you pronounce it? Sounds right which is a uh, wish-granting stone, or at least the legends say, that is from the fabled city of Shambhala, a.k.a. Shangri-La, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, everybody wants that stone. Everybody wants to get their wish, their wishes granted. It's, it's Dragon Ball, basically. <laughs> they want to summon Shinron and <laughs> get their wish. But, I love um, how many times you bring up Dragon Ball in this podcast, Marcus. And it feels Dragon like it always Street? flies over everybody else's head. <laughs> Are you even keeping a tally? (laughs) No. (laughs) I think finding a way to bring every gaming franchise back to Dragon Ball is a phenomenal running thing to have. Yeah, I think that says something about Dragon Ball. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And, you know, they when they get to the city, they kind of find out that the stone is just a piece of amber 
that form from sap from an ancient tree that you know if you drink the sap you get superpowers and uh i think immortality or close to immortality at least that's what lazarevich specifically is chasing he wants immortality so yeah that's that's the thing that's got everyone going all around the world shooting each other and betraying each other <laughs> is this stone basically but yeah I think the only other character we didn't touch on was a uh, Carl Schaefer, who's like the old German guy you meet. Oh, who could forget that guy? Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, what can you say? He was an old guy. I mean, he used to work for the Nazis, and yeah, you find out that he, uh, like, they found the stone or they found the city, but then he realized the danger and he killed his own men. To oh right, he's the guy the, you find in that. Um, I don't know, for, the, the the village, the village. yeah, the ice yeah. village. Yeah, he's like, hey, I killed my own dudes to make sure nobody knows about this. This is how real this is. That's what that place um, was called, right? It was called the Ice Village. I think that was the official name. Was that really? But it said on the signs. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just like as you came into town. Take a left at Ice Village Grocer, and my house is on the left. Nobody here is good at naming things, so you know. But yeah, I mean, Carl. I mean, other than that, I mean, he gets killed by Lazarevich, so you know, he did not see Uncharted Three. Yeah, he was a Nazi. <laughs> as you said but we're but he was but he turned his back on the nazis is that what i'm understanding so he was supposed to be like hey maybe this guy's okay in the end but then we still got to kill him because he's a nazi <laughs> is that is that he what they were thinking he worked for like um like I, he wasn't like a foot soldier from what i remember he worked for a sort of like a what was it like a a brain trust within the nazis you know, like it was just kind of like overseeing or involved with like intel. Like I don't think he was like boots on the ground Nazi guy. But I mean, he's still with the Nazis. <laughs> um, but he, I mean, it's he so seemed like a decent guy, I guess, in this game. Maybe in old age, he's like, yeah, that was a my yeah. My did some things we're not proud of. Yeah, he he feels like he's there to help, just kind of propel Nate to that next step of like knowing where to go, basically. Yeah. And to kind of further establish, like, hey, I killed my own dudes to make sure I'm with this. So you, you cannot let that crazy guy get yeah. that stone because bad things will happen. You know, we touched on Tenzin. Cameraman Jeff. I remember liking Jeff, the, like, hour you spend with him. <laughs> Honestly, they did. They make it. Yeah, they did Jeff dirty because they spent so much time like, hey, we got to save Jeff. And Nate goes out of his way to try to save Jeff, even though. Chloe doesn't want to. And then all that work just to like kill him anyway. I felt like they must have just felt worked into a narrative corner of like, hey, there's no way for us to get Jeff to a hospital and continue the story on. And they just like, we just need to get rid of him. I mean, I guess it was the way to make you hate Lazarevich more because he spent all this time trying to save this guy. And he was like pretty much like the audience surrogate of like, he's just the normal guy that's just there and he's just reacting to all this madness around him, but he's still like filming everything. But you know, he's just like, whoa, this is. This is pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just he, kind of rolling with it. I think that's what made him charming to me. Of like, he's just going with the flow. <laughs> you know, but the the person in every found footage movie where you're like, why are you still rolling the camera? Run for your life. And he's like, no, I just got to keep, I need to see what happens here. And yeah, it's, I, I totally get what you mean by him, like sort of being done dirty, but I feel like it does create that, you know, it, it further solidifies Lazarevich's kind of going to whatever lengths necessary to get what he wants even though you do have to carry Jeff through a whole level slowly, make sure he doesn't die and you can only shoot with a pistol and then he dies. <laughs> yeah. Can you play as him in multiplayer? Wasn't he a skin? Ooh, I think so. I was like, didn't, isn't that how he lived on? Jeff lives on. At least, 
a skin in the the trilogy collection that blue point did for the remaster so you know you could get your revenge if you played as jeff and ran into another player that was dressed up as lazarovich you could you know <laughs> get some retribution for sure yeah then that's is that it then on story wise they just go and the city crumbles right yeah you know the all of lazarovich's men get murked you know, you guys barely make it out, like we mentioned before. Elena almost dies from, um, because uh, Flynn like tries to look, do like a suicide attack, right? Like, a, like, and his attack is what injures Elena. But, you know, you defeat Lazarevich, you manage to get Elena and everyone else out of there. You know, it crumbles. And then after that, it's what that's the moment you kind of see Nate and Elena officially get together. Like, because I, I think Chloe kind of prods him, like, hey, you should probably just tell her because he almost lost her back there you seem to care a lot when that happened <laughs> yeah like she... i i let jeff die and you didn't say anything <laughs> but when elena was dying you were all over it. so yeah you, you you know elena and nate get together and they weirdly enough they they go to the memorial for schaefer who was the guy they they knew yeah. for like an hour to, to do this but there's a weird sort of like he would have been proud of the work we did. And I'm like, I don't care about him or if he's <laughs> proud. So I don't think we right. knew him that well. Yeah. <laughs> he was a Nazi. So, you know, like, yeah, so I guess he would have been proud of surf. We did the thing that he asked us to do, I guess. But yeah. beyond that, <laughs> there's some things that he should not have been proud about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this Nazi would have been really happy for us. <laughs> <laughs> Mixed messages for the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that, that then is the story of Uncharted 2. An amazing story, at least for me. I love that story. Like I said, I was completely enamored with it. I, I think this is one of those games where I put down everything to just run through it, finished it like in a couple days or so, because I just, you know, I just need to see what's going to happen next. And, you know, the will they, won't they stuff with Elena and Nate or even Chloe to a degree. Like, like I said, I was, I think this is a way more interesting and, and a lot more of a, fleshed out and complicated story than the first game was which was a lot more straightforward up to the zombie stuff at the end right um yeah like it feels like a movie like you know it's the most cliche thing you can say in the space <laughs> but it, it does it, it just feels like a well-written just swashbuckling movie yeah i think i'm gonna get the numbers wrong but i think they said 90 minutes of basically cinematic footage sprinkled throughout so there's basically a movie's worth of cinematics in there which the first game had 70 minutes so it's a jump up. But then also, I think I read somewhere like six months out from release, they still had something wild, like 40 minutes weren't totally finalized. So that's like a big oh, wow. chunk of the game that they had to like sprint and get done in the last few months. Wow. It's wild how that happens, right? I mean, <laughs> might be some grudge involved there, you know, hopefully not. But... Well, you would, I think they've, you know, Naughty Dog has put in their their time taking their lumps and at this point they probably when they say hey sony we need more time sony's probably happy to give it to them at this point because their yeah, game sell millions <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think naughty dog has enough clout at this point that they can kind of <laughs> tell sony some things uh, but back then that was you know pre-uncharted 2 they probably didn't have quite the leverage they yeah. probably were like sony probably said hey this game is coming out at this date and make it happen Yeah. Kevin Butler said, get out the door. This is the game with the, like the Kevin Butler ads. There was that Kevin Butler ad where the, the guy's oh, yeah. complaining like, oh, hey, my girlfriend keeps 
watching me play this game, Kevin Butler, what do I do? <laughs> and Kevin Butler's like, this is a weird thing. And he's talking to him. And then the girlfriend walks out and she's super hot. And Kevin Butler's <laughs> like, you know what? This is not a problem. Oh, that's so much of its time. But there's a problem oh, yeah. that that I miss that character, the Kevin Butler uh-huh. era of Sony. Those commercials were pretty fun. Yeah, it it's was... it's funny that he ended up in a Wii commercial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> her I name is a strangeness. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it wasn't a Wii commercial. It was a commercial for tires, but he was playing a Wii, wasn't that it? Oh yeah, that's it. Was a, a car, yeah, a car or tire commercial. Yeah, but yeah, it's so I mean, we're in an era now where Xbox is gonna own Crash and Spyro to PlayStation fan chagrin. So I guess Nintendo can have Kevin Butler for a while. <laughs> sure, yeah, bring him back. I would take. Why it. isn't he hosting some directs? I know, right? They really should have done that. <laughs> Yeah, well, man, that's Uncharted 2, Among Thieves, game released to pretty much universal acclaim on October 13th, 2009, as we've said. It won 33 Game of the Year awards, including Game Informers. As of February 2010, the game had sold over 3.5 million copies, which is really good for a for any game that's just selling on a single console. That's really good. I mean, it's good for a multi-platform game. Who am I kidding? Yeah. It was the fastest selling first per- first party title of any PlayStation game. And then as of March 2015, Uncharted 2 had sold 6.5 million copies. Wow. And that's, you know, seven years ago. So it's probably sold even more now. Yeah. I know you mentioned that it was uh, our game of the year, but also worth noting one of the rare 10 out of 10 games from Jet, uh, Game Informer. Perfect 10 score. Yeah. We don't give out those out a ton. There's some years that go by where we last one was. It's a good question. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I can't think what it was. Was it? Actually, it might have been Last of Us too. Oh yeah, that's totally what it was. Yep. Andy gave that out, and then before that, it might have been Breath of the Wild. Maybe. Anyway, somebody can fact check us. I'm sure. Yeah, another Naughty Dog game. Funny enough. Breath of the Wild. (laughs) Breath of the Wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Oh man, I loved Naughty Dog's Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I was just gonna say I think I got an, a, a nine point five from from IGN as well, just to represent that side of it. Even though I did not work for the site at that time, sure. No, I much. was just excited about the scores. <laughs> yeah, it was great game, great scores. I probably would have given it a ten if I had scored it. Yeah, I probably would have too. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on Uncharted Two? Um, if you somehow have never played it. Um, you should absolutely do that, especially at the very least before this new movie comes out. If there's only one Uncharted that you should play before the new movie, probably that one. Yeah, there's scenes yeah. in the movie that look like they're directly ripped out of three. So three might be also an interesting one to play. But I think people tend to regard two as the better game. Yeah, I'd say two just because of the uh, the set piece stuff, like I said before, like that kind of that was the game that kind of established the Uncharted set piece thing. And the movie has a lot of those now. So if you want to see sort of the birth of that play two, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's got the plane sequence from three pretty much straight up. <laughs> well, I guess that'll do it for us today. Thanks Jonathan for being on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, love reminiscing about this franchise. Yeah. And, and I think all of the, the movie plots we wrote for it, uh, if this one doesn't, it does well, maybe they'll bring us on. For this. Yeah. I think we could write the sequel. Just get yeah. us in a room together for an hour. We'll plot it out. We'll be done. Yeah, we don't need a Jack and Dasher movie. <laughs> we'll make Uncharted 2 the movie, but it's not based on Uncharted 2. It's a different, right. different 
They'll be among us, but not among us. Not, yeah. There'll be a scene where Nathan turns to the camera. He's like, this place just got charted. <laughs> he's got a map. He's drawing the map. The Boobazella plays really loud in the background. Yeah, we got it. We did it again, guys. We can't keep giving away these free ideas. So we should close the show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like us, subscribe, leave us a review if you can. You can follow me at Benjamin Reeves on Twitter. And I am at Marcus Stewart 7 That's the number seven on Twitter. I'm at JM Dornbush on Twitter. So hopefully you can find me there talking about Uncharted probably. Great. Anything you want to promote over at IGN? Anything you're working on that you're excited for? Uh, well, recently, if, you're, if you are a big Uncharted fan, you've played the whole series. Uh, we put out one of the latest in our series called Art of the Level, uh, where we break down a very cool level in a video game that we love. And we did one on Uncharted 4 specifically. So if you've played 4, go check that out. It's all about uh, a really big, cool chase sequence in, in the midway point of that game. That was really awesome. The, the Naughty Dog team told us a bunch of how it all came together. And it was, it was really cool to learn their process. You know, a couple games removed from 2, but still evolving and, and learning about all that. So yeah, go check that out. Great. Well... Join us next week. We will be talking about Uncharted 3, The Thievius Raccoonist. I think that's what it was called, right? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Until then, take it easy, everybody. This podcast just got charted.